Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome back into the Line 24 7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz. We are halfway through Michigan Penn State game week. It is game number 10 for the Nittany Lions. Just a couple left on the regular season schedule. We will take a long look at this Michigan football squad momentarily with some help from Zach Shaw, who covers the team for 24 7 sports site, The Michigan Insider. He is indeed a Michigan insider. So look for some lowdown on these Wolverines in just a second. We have some housekeeping to get done here uh, from Happy Valley. But I want to start, if you missed it, Brian Doan hopped on for one of those long conversations that he does here on the podcast with Sean. Really good stuff on Monday. Um, hopefully you all caught it. If you didn't, circle back, catch that one. A little bit of a break in the action from the Michigan-Penn State talk, but it is well worth it as it's a nice review, catching everybody up on the progress of this 2022 Penn State class. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I do encourage you to check it out. Doan was fantastic as always. He's never one to mince words. So when you ask him about Penn State's defensive tackle recruit, what is he? And he says offensive line. It's 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 some interesting <laughs> stuff. So uh, definitely check that out. Uh, big recruiting week on the site. Of course, uh, visitors coming to town, probably not as big as once planned. And, and that's nothing to do with uh, how the team's playing or anything like that. It's just the noon kick at this time of year. Guys are focused on their senior season playoffs and things like that. It's just a bad time for a noon kick for a big game, and that's kind of how it's gone. I think the last couple, I think 2019, had a similar situation as well late in the season. But uh, you've got uh, you got to do what you you got to do it or make work make do with what you can. And uh, still a pretty nice list of visitors up on the site. That list, yeah, like you just said, that list is up on the site. It'll be growing as the week goes on. Some really impressive names on there. Not surprising to see some 2023 names pop up at this point. Big focus, by the way, James Franklin asked about what's he, what's the goal for these next few weeks. He said juggling, finishing the season as strongly as you can with keeping that 22 recruiting class intact and, and building out the foundation for 23. But the focal point is five weeks from today, Sean. Five weeks from today is that early signing period. And the two quarterbacks you got on board, we have highlights from their recent playoff matchups, Bo Prabula and, of course, of course, Drew Aller. And Aller's the guy that everyone wants to see 35 days to go by in a blink so he can just put pen to paper, of course. Of course, of course. Everybody <laughs> wants to. That's the uh, the thing for Penn State fans. They, they want to get him to uh, to campus as soon as possible. They want to get him signed as soon as possible. They want to get the Franklin drama over with. And, and you know, if, if Franklin's here, Drew's here, I think there's no question about it. So um, that's uh, that's that's one that, you know, you, you can grit your teeth a little bit over the next month. But uh, that's that's pretty much the bottom line is that Franklin and your sister here. You got yourself a five star quarterback. That's a pretty good deal if you're a Penn State fan. Yeah, by the way, I've got Perbula adding up the stats yesterday. You know, my math's a little sketchy, but 40 touchdowns total, five interceptions. Um, and now you've got Drew Aller at 53 touchdowns, four interceptions on the season. Both those guys just going Not out at all, handling <laughs> their business. And hey, both in the thick of state championship runs, both, you know, one of the top seeds in their bracket. So we'll see how far it goes for them. They have a chance to really build on those stats. Um, here in Happy Valley, there, there is some stuff to get to, and we'll start with the good news. Jahan Dotson and Jair Brown coming off that Maryland matchup both get Big Ten honors. Uh, that was announced on Monday, I think a little bit after you recorded with Brian. Of course, we all know what Jahan Dotson did. He set a program record with 242 receiving yards, three touchdowns, uh, had a hand in the other scoring drive for the offense with a 45-yard catch on the fourth quarter field goal uh, from Jordan Stout. Um, and, and Jahan Dotson, Sean, the, the amazing thing is he is the exact same guy every single interview, going back to when he was 15, 16 years old, to coming off of this ridiculous performance that pushes him a step closer to getting that legendary status that he has been very vocal about wanting with Penn State. I think coming out of, of a conversation with Jahan Dotson on Tuesday, a couple things stood out. One, the, the brotherhood that this wide receiver uh, alumni group has, um, you know, constant contact, he says, with KJ Hamler, a former teammate of him. But Alan, Alan uh, Robinson, Chris Godwin, both those guys in touch with him throughout the offseason. He spent some time in Texas training with Chris Godwin. And then within an hour or so, it sounded like of, of, of that Maryland game, heard from Dion Butler, uh, got reached out. Congratulations from Butler. Butler previously held the single game mark. I thought that was really cool. And then the other thing is Jahan says he comes out of every game, you know, really critiquing himself. And this was another example 
could have found another 50, 100 yards along the way. And, oh, ho-hum, get over 300 yards in the process, perhaps. And it's it just ease the total package. And you can understand why James Franklin continues to reiterate this is the, the model of what they want within their locker room. He sounds like me talking about my golf game. I could definitely find another <laughs> 50 or 100 yards any, anywhere, but uh, it just doesn't show up for some reason. But yeah, you, you're right. I mean, he's he's working his way into that legendary status. I think a, a, a signature moment maybe this weekend against Michigan. You know, you, you can go for 242 against Maryland, and it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But you do that against Michigan. We saw what he did against Ohio State last year. Um, really has stepped up in big games. And that's the thing. You look at some of um, the receivers in college football and they feast on poor competition, which they should. But, uh, you know, when the lights come on and you you, you play the top teams on your schedule, that's really where your legacy is going to be uh, stamped down. And, and I think that Jahan Dotson's done a great job of that so far, and he can continue to do that over the next couple of weeks. And then Jair Brown, talk about a guy who's really coming on strong here in his first year as a starter, um, alongside Jaquan Brisker, former Lackawanna teammate. Been a really cool story. But more than that, this has been just an incredible tandem for the Nittany Lions for the most part. His fourth interception was an 87-yard return that punctuated the matchup against Maryland. And he was Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. Um, now, that honor came uh, not just for the interception, but he had a, a, the a fumble recovery in the red zone as well. That was two takeaways inside the red zone on that bad snap. He had nine total tackles, which tied for the team high. And I'm telling you what, Sean, we've been talking about, well, you're going to lose Brisker, but you're getting Brown back. I'm not so sure that is the how that sentence ends right now. we got to see how the next three games play. But he is playing at a very high level, and James Franklin says his confidence has everything to do with that. There's no need to shove him out the door as, as you're trying to. Oh get no, him. <laughs> um, no, he's he's been phenomenal. Uh, and and you and I had talked to him during his recruitment. A tough kid not to root for, just considering his situation where he was just a couple of years ago, and then made the most out of his Lackawanna experience, and then you know really took a huge step forward this year. I mean, you you think back to the summer, and you're talking about the Jair Brown versus Jonathan Sutherland. Uh, conversation and you're thinking is either one of these guys going to be good enough to sit step step in there with those other defensive backs and it not be the weak link and clearly he's not <laughs> you know clearly he hasn't been close to a weak link um let, let's talk about how pretty that play was that that pick six i mean you don't see too many of those just in one motion just jump jumping on that route cutting off the receiver catching the ball in stride going the other way there was no question once that ball was in his hand there was no question that anybody was going to get near him, um, especially, by the way, Jalen Reed was on the on the field for that play. Uh, freshman who's not going to redshirt anymore, and that's we'll get to that in a second, but he was on the field for that play. So um, those safeties, I mean, you, you thought coming into the season, you have Brisker and everyone else, and Brown has really stepped up and, and made play after play um, and, and big times. And, you know, sometimes it's right place, right time. Other times it's being, you know, that instinctual player that gets you where you need to be as a safety. So we'll talk about all of that other stuff coming up after the season. I, you know, we still feel that another year, I, I mean, I still feel at least that another year would, would benefit him greatly in terms of improving and being the guy back there. You saw what it did for Brisker this year. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's really been a remarkable story for Jair Brown. And as I said, very, very hard not to root for this kid. Yeah. A reminder four years ago, did not have an FBS offer on the table. Did not have an FCS offer on the table. Did not have an invitation to join a Division II program. And Lackawanna came in very late before the start of training camp. There were some great there were academic issues, some test scores involved there. But to think about where he was coming out of high school to where he is right now, Big Ten Player of the Week in November, uh, in, in the second week of November, um, and, and really building his case as a riser in this conference. It's, it's a special story, and it's one that certainly we'll continue to monitor. Um, you mentioned Jalen Reed becoming. And, and, and before, actually, yeah. before you get on that, yeah, what a great thing for junior college players to be able to go to camps now. Yeah, this is just something yes. new in the last couple of years. Jair Brown picked up his offer from Penn State at camp. I know Norval Black did as well, and that hasn't turned out as well, but um, what a a great thing for these young men to be able to get out and do and work out and be um you know be on the radar of some schools that they wouldn't have been on the radar otherwise because of this rule change and it's just been it's been great for some of these guys and really considering the lack of visibility that junior colleges have and the lack of ability to get out and travel and things like that because of the situation that they're in what a great rule change and Jaya brown is the poster child for that whether you're getting one of those safety backs or none of those starting safeties back, you will add another Lackawanna safety to the mix next year. Tyrese Mills out of Philadelphia uh, committed to Penn State back in the spring uh, on track to join the program in 2022. So that pipeline continues. Um, Sean, uh, the status of Jalen Reed um, you know, was a good question coming from Greg Pickle the other day. Four 
games. So he's at that threshold. Mark Brennan does a great job keeping tabs on all the freshmen and how much they've played. And he's at that ver on the verge of, of burning redshirt, and he will burn redshirt. Uh, James Franklin said him and the staff had that conversation. They need Jalen Reed to play. He's ready to play. They want him on special teams. They want him in defensive packages. As you mentioned, he was involved late in the stages in a crucial moment against Maryland. So there's some trust being built there. And this is the second defensive back to burn his red shirt, the second player that will burn his red shirt, presumably this Saturday against Michigan when he plays in his fifth game. Kobe King, who is Kaitlin King's twin brother, uh, at four games as well. James Franklin didn't throw any other names in there. They said they're still kind of doing a weekly assessment of the freshman of the red shirt. They want to save uh, games for guys for if injuries happen and they're really needed or for that bowl game that they're going to eventually play in. But uh, significant development here. And when you look through the freshmen who have been the most active, of course, Kalen King, all nine games played this year. Kobe King, as I mentioned, at four. Jalen Reed at four. And next up is Jamari Budden, uh, at linebacker with three. No one else has played more than two. All four of those guys out of Detroit. Nice parting gift from Tim Banks before he went to Tennessee. You took my line. I was going to use the Banks thing, uh, but yeah, that's it was that's a that's a really good haul right there, and and those guys seem to come in ready. And, and honestly, looking back at J uh, at Jalen Reed last year, he looked like a guy that could use some time to develop those safety skills and coverage. Especially, you think he came in um, like a sort of like a Sam linebacker, to be honest with you. He he played that rover position for King and was all over the place for them, but at the same time, never really was tested as a guy that had to play in space or anything like that. So to see him make that stride is really good. It's kind of the Jahan Dotson approach to the red shirt where they thought they were going to red shirt him. And then at the same, at the end of the, the day, other guys had injury problems. This one's basically tied directly to Jonathan Sutherland's availability as a safety. Um, and, and really, at the you know you just got to the point where you had to play him and and he showed that he belongs out there as i said he was in on that play for that pick six and for a true freshman to be out there at that point really says something about where they stand on him for especially looking at his future and penn state right now with three safeties who are in year number four or year number five at the college level sean brisker's leaving after this year he's out of eligibility jaya brown and jonathan sutherland each could use another year of eligibility in 2022 um, and then beyond that, you're kind of scouring the roster. Who's the riser? Keaton Ellis still intrigues me a lot, making that move from cornerback earlier this year. I'd like to see where that continues to go for him. But Tyler Rudolph seemed to be the ascending figure in this room, kind of not quite the youngest guy, but not the oldest guy. And you're number three. There was a lot of, of, of good things coming out of him on preseason camp. He entered the first four games, but he has not been with the team for the last five. So hard to figure out how he fits in right now. And you need to see some emergence from that younger level at the safety position right now. Very clearly, Jalen Reed is the guy leading that charge um, at, during the final stretch of this season. Yeah, to me, Rudolph doesn't figure into the future. Um, I, I, I look at next year, if you can get Jair Brown back, which you know you mentioned it's kind of a little bit more on the fence than it seemed like it would have been, that's ideal. Keaton Ellis, Jalen Reed, that's a good nucleus of safeties there. Um, you mentioned Tyrese Mills coming in. I still see him eventually as a Sam, but we'll, we'll see where that goes. I saw Jalen Reed as a Sam at this time last year. Um, so we'll see where it goes with, uh, for, with that direction. But uh, safety position under Anthony Poindexter has, has made some real strides. And, and unfortunately, Rudolph, we're not talking about anymore. Enzo Jennings has been a non-factor, which is very surprising given where he came in, you know, uh, ranked and everything like that. There's a really good, really good prospect coming out, but he just has not been part of the conversation at all. Um, so you have to think that he's probably not much of the, the conversation moving forward either. So, um, but you, you seem to be in a good spot with those guys. And if you got three of those coming back, as we, we've seen it, uh, we saw one guy coming back last year and you didn't feel too great about it, but if you got three coming back, you feel a little bit better about where that's thing that thing stands going into 2022 well we don't know yet if penn state will be down a safety jonathan sutherland made the trip to maryland last saturday james franklin actually pointed out him and jesse lucetta in the post-game press conference and then again in his tuesday press conference saying there's a reason he brought them even if they couldn't play and it sounds like you know they weren't necessarily sure about that status when they hit the road but they said that they their leadership was valued on the sideline. Of course, both of those guys are team captains. But this is a matchup where Sutherland aside, and of course, he's your special teams guy. Uh, he's your second team safety. That could mean more for Jalen Reed, more work there. 
but Jesse Lucchetta is the one I circle here. And then, you know, obviously more of a, a, f- a factor on defense, but particularly against this Michigan squad that we're going to hear a lot about in a moment from Zach Shaw. They want to pound the ball. They want to go for 220 plus rushing yards every week on you. And Jesse Lucchetta um, has come along so, so fast. I feel like a defensive end um, missed on the field against Maryland. Uh, Nick Tarburton was, w- you know, threw some praise in the direction of Zariah Fisher saying he's a guy who, um, you know, ha- has been stepping up w- with Jesse Lucchetta, not available, but to me, th- that's a significant storyline here for the final stretch of this game week and something I think will be asked about after practice on Wednesday. And we'll see if Luketa is out there working with defensive ends, working with the first team defense at practice. But if he's not able to go, I think that's a significant loss for Penn State. And counter on the counterpoint, if he's back there um, and and he's and he's you know, ready to provide a healthy version of number forty, um, I think that that could really swing some momentum for Penn State, especially as they want to get after uh, the quarterback and make him feel uncomfortable. There hasn't been too many tests in the pocket yet. I think with this with McNamara being forced to be the guy in the passer. Yeah, and and you look at Michigan; they've only given up six sacks all season. So you know you want yeah. as much pressure as you can get in there. You want as much uh, of Lucetta making plays in the run game as he's done this year. To his credit, not something that we you know complete. We, we weren't sure what kind of player he would be at the edge, um, but he's really a, a kind of a complete player there. So really impressed with what he's done, and would be a huge addition for Penn State back there. It's one of the things that we'll be looking for um, when we go out to practice this afternoon, this evening, whenever it is, um, and, uh, and and checking things out on the practice field because it's it's going to be um, a situation where Zariah Fisher credit him has done a, a, a you know has done a suitable job in there Smith Vilbert's been in there but Jesse Lucetta just brings something different for your defense yeah, um, this is not the situation you want to be shorthanded up front right now and um, another note here it's not as significant from a from a personnel perspective because Fred Hansard hasn't been really involved at defensive tackle for much of this season, particularly late, uh, but suspended for the first half of the Michigan game. James Franklin uh, confirming that on Tuesday here from the Big Ten. They wanted to know what Penn State's plan was regarding the push of uh, Tagovailoa on the sideline uh, last week against Maryland. Franklin said he wasn't even aware of it until after the game. Um, he was very quick to point out that Fred Hansard, he's called, has been a class act since he got to campus in 2017. Um, he kind of read off a, a lot uh, and saying what Fred Hansard has done right. And then he also admitted this was the wrong look. This was the bad look. He said it was re- a reactionary thing. Fred Hansard also put out a statement yesterday apologizing to Maryland, apologizing to Tango Vailoa, and, and basically saying the same deal. There was no malice. There was no intent. It's not something he planned to do. It, it, it was a reactionary deal. Um, and he also apologized to Rashid Walker, who if you were tracking this thing on Twitter or you were following the broadcast – he was getting flamed and people were, were ready to drop his NFL draft stock while he was standing there on the sideline. So a lot to, to sort through here. Ultimately, this, this isn't a starter. This isn't a second team player. So it's not much of a game impact. But I, I think you would probably agree with this, Sean, in dealing with Fred as a recruit and and and, and here and again uh, since he's arrived on campus. Always a, always a guy who's smiling, always a guy who you enjoy talking to. And, and you know, it kind of lifts up the, the, the attitude and, and the group that you're with. But this was a bad look for him, and I think he completely understands that. And to his credit, came out and owned it um, with with that social media post yesterday. Yeah, it was a bad look. Uh, suspension probably warranted. I mean, I I'm, I don't have too much to say about it. I mean, it's it's yeah. part of the, it's one of those things that happens. And and yeah, it was right to be proactive about it for Penn State. Suspend them, whatever. I I don't. It's not going to change their game plan or anything like that. So no. could suspend them for the whole game. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's uh, it. Was not a good look for Fred. Uh, you don't like to see that. But at the same time, I'm I'm not. I don't think anybody's losing sleep over it. No, I don't think so. And we are going to jump into this Michigan preview right now. Zach Shaw covers the program for 24-7 Sports, the Michigan Insider. We talked to him yesterday. Let's jump into that conversation right now. Let's dive into it on the Michigan Wolverines who come into this matchup with one loss. Still a lot ahead of them in terms of Big Ten Championship chase conversation. A couple weeks removed from that loss to Michigan State. I know that one stung a lot in Ann Arbor, but Zach Shaw is here to break things down about where this program is right now heading into Beaver Stadium. Zach, we had you on last year. Very much different set of circumstances (laughs) for each of these programs, fortunately, from our case. Um, Wow, what a year that was. Let's turn the page. Let's focus on the now. How you doing? I'm I'm good. It's it's amazing what a, what a season can be like if uh, half the star players don't opt out of each of these teams. No kidding, no kidding. Well, let's jump right into it because Michigan's coming into this matchup with one loss, coming off off of a win against Indiana. How much uh, I, I guess of the hangover um, was uh, kind of went away because of that win? I'd imagine it was a rough week leading up to the Indiana game. 
Yeah, yeah. I think I think the hard part for Michigan was they, you know, there's there's that mental hurdle when you aren't, you still have to be confident because because they did play really well against Michigan State, and that's that's not something fans want to hear. I mean, I'm I've been around this enough to know that, but it wasn't like a 2019 loss when they got destroyed by uh, by Wisconsin, or it wasn't like in 2017 when they played at Penn State. You know, it was it was the first loss of the season, but there wasn't necessarily reason to like throw a fit and give up the whole season. And I think, I think fans were ready for that, right? You know, they were kind of, that was where the fans were at, but the players, I, I think, you know, there's enough veteran players. There's enough players who are part of last season's team. I mean, I think about 80% of the two deep is back from last year that they were kind of like, no, 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 this can be different. This can be something different. I mean, it helps to play Indiana. I, I think they're, they were a team. They were catching the Hoosiers at the right time, you know, down to their third string quarterback. Uh, they had, they had a bunch of injuries during during the game too, so it was it was kind of what it was expected. Uh, I, I think the the big thing for Michigan was all of a sudden a pretty healthy team all year. All of a sudden they've got like five or six guys who are going in the injury tent, and and that really I, I think Michigan fans would have almost said, you know, you should have just played the backups the whole time because you know the injury stuff obviously uh, worries a lot of fans, and and we'll see just how healthy they are this weekend. But yeah, I think it was. It was kind of as expected. The run game dominated, threw the ball around a little bit, and then the defense against teams that aren't Michigan State and Nebraska, uh, the defense has been really lights out all season. So they, so I guess to get back into that momentum was something significant too. Zach, you mentioned the health of the team. I know you guys, kind of like us, you don't get the full uh, injury right. report. Jim, Jim Harbaugh is not really running to tell everybody how hurt everybody is. But what are you saying? Who are the guys that that you expect to maybe be day-to-day, guys that you would not be surprised if they weren't out there? And and, and I guess how how does that impact the rest of what Michigan's trying to do? Yeah, I think we got one depth chart in 2015, and then he decided that wasn't a thing anymore. So it's uh, <laughs> no, it's same kind of deal. I think the big, the big one, obviously, is Blake Corum. Uh, you know, potential thousand yard back this season was in a walking boot in the second half. Only took one carry in the first half. Uh, you know, AJ Henning, really electric wide receiver, punt returner as well. He's another one to keep an eye on. Um, and then, and then Eric All, uh, starting tight end, who who really just prior the week prior had started to look like a a star. He had a uh, ninety eight yards against Michigan State. So those are. Those are probably the three that are like the quote unquote the proverbial day to day that coaches love to love to lean on. And, and Jim Harbaugh kind of hinted at, at, on his team's radio show last night that that maybe they're probable that you know instead of just questionable, uh, the the guy who might you know be a little bit more questionable to maybe even doubtful. It sounds like it's Jamon Green, uh, number number three cornerback. Um, yeah, it's it's just I mean other than that prior to Saturday they really hadn't had many injury issues at all. I know you guys do the same thing I do where you go to the game, you bring your binoculars, you know, you scour, see who's on the field, who's warming up. And it was, it was like everybody pretty much every week, obviously Ronnie Bell star receiver was out at the beginning of the year, but yeah, I think that's, that's where it gets tricky is that offense. I think it could be full steam ahead. I think it could be hampered a little bit. Uh, just kind of, I guess the next two days is what, what's going to be telling. You mentioned Corum. Oh, sorry, sorry. But you mentioned Corum. He's the second leading rusher on this team, which you wouldn't think just based off of the you know the the pub and stuff that he gets. But Hassan Haskins approaching that thousand yard barrier as well. Um, how much changes if Corum's not able to go? Because it seems like Michigan is content to just line up and run the football no matter who's back there. Yeah, yeah, they like them both, and and Corum was the number one back until you know, the injury, I guess, <laughs> this past week. I mean, Haskins got nice 164 yards on him this weekend. So, um, yeah, they're both really good. I think it's the, you know, the cliched uh, thunder and lightning quorum, you know, top 125 recruit really fast. I think 444 when he was in high school, uh, you know, really quick too, not just long speed, but but has, has really good burst. And then Haskins is a three-star who I think had two uh, power five offers out of high school and just, just bulldozes people. He's, he's really strong. He hurdles them too. He's had a few highlight hurdles, but, but, you know, as a former state finalist, long, high jumper, but uh, you know, he's more of a, of the bruising type. So, so it is a big difference. And the thing where things get really interesting is Donovan Edwards has missed the last two games as well. He's the number three back former five-star recruit per 24 seven. So if they, if they don't have Coram or Edwards, I do think Michigan starts to, 
figure circumvent things or figure out what else they can do uh, in the run game. But if they have one of the two, I mean, if I got to think Edwards would be ready to be a, a number two back if, you know, based on his recruiting, you know, what he looked like out of high school and everything. Uh, but, but Corum, I think is that game breaking. The Michigan's been waiting for someone like him, uh, either at the running back or quarterback position, someone who other teams don't really have an answer for, and you know, his yards per carries, his big playability, he can catch a little bit too. Um, and so I think him being there, I think really helps Michigan's offense. But, but as you mentioned, they, they have a run game without him. Let's stay in the offensive backfield. You talked about Michigan fans waiting for something. How about a quarterback to come along and play high-level football? It's been a litany of names with Jim Harbaugh since he arrived. Shea Patterson, of course, the most recent that Penn State fans are familiar with, former five-star in his own right. But what's Cade Mc, uh, McNamara doing right now at quarterback for Michigan? You look through the numbers, nine touchdowns through nine through nine games for Michigan. It's not going to jump out, but two interceptions. They're winning these games. What are they getting out of the quarterback position right now? I know there's excitement about J.J. McCarthy waiting in the wings as well. Yeah, I think I think Cade's biggest strength is he keeps it simple. You know, when it's an, when it's an easy play, it's it's made. When it's a 50-50 ball or, or you're trying to take a shot downfield, it's not it's not reckless. It's it, you know he's completed quite a, a few of them, but it's you know the incompletion's better than the interception. I guess is the is the mentality there, and so. Um, he hasn't really wowed. Uh, he hasn't been asked to wow. Really, the only game that they said, we need you to throw it 40 times in a game was against Michigan State. And he threw for 383 yards, led multiple very pass-heavy drives. So so I think it's there. I, you know, Michigan fans, they talk about him like he's a three-star or a walk-on type player. He was a four-star recruit. You know, he had legit offers. Uh, he just hadn't played a ton of great competition in Nevada. But, but because of that, he got a lot of throwing experience. So I think he's his decision making, you know, he's a savvy guy. He understands when to sidearm it, when to, you know, put a little air on under it. I don't think he's been perfect. I mean, there was, you know, before the Michigan State game, I think fans were wondering if maybe it was time to make a switch to McCarthy. But, but I think, you know, the team really likes that he, you know, his leadership, I guess his, his mentality during games. I think that's something that often gets overlooked when we think about arm strength and size and frame and, and, you know, passing accuracy. But what about knowing, what to say and when in the huddle or, or knowing kind of when to, when to avoid a sack and, and just, you know, do an incompletion instead of taking a six yard sack. I think, you know, Michigan's, I think they've only given up like four sacks all year and, and, you know, Michigan's offensive line is pretty good, but I think a lot of it's McNamara, to be honest. I think he, he understands how to read pressure and how to avoid turnovers and, and negative plays. So uh, that's really the nice way of saying he's a safe quarterback but but there is actually a value in it he has made it an asset for Michigan this year because they have a good run game they have enough receivers and they have a defense so you don't necessarily obviously to beat like an Ohio State you need a star quarterback but they haven't necessarily needed McNamara a ton this season is that what can you really talk about those weapons part? a little sorry Sean sorry, no. <laughs> can you talk about here. the weapon yeah the weapons that that he's working with because I'm looking through this and you mentioned the the performance that was required of him against Michigan State but along the way there's only one other matchup where he's gone over 200 passing yards when he is looking downfield who do we need to be aware of who does Penn State need to be aware of as the priority targets I know there's some emerging pieces as well yeah I think Andre Anthony's the one that, that fans are really excited about. He's he's also day to day. Uh, I'm not sure. I think he was given that probable distinction as well. But he came out of nowhere, had literally never recorded a catch and had 155 yards and two touchdowns against Michigan State. And that's you know, in, in Michigan's under Jim Harbaugh, they haven't had a lot of players play like that, period, let alone in their first true extended run. So he's he's fascinating. Cornelius Johnson is probably the the I guess the number one. Uh, you know, he's, he's tall, four-star recruit quick, um, you know, still, still kind of working on catching contested balls and catching through contact. Um, that's something him and, and Dalen Baldwin, uh, transfer from Jackson state that, you know, those are kind of the outside guys that haven't quite made that leap on those 50, 50 passes to be guys that warrant 10 targets a game. Uh, in the slot, they got Mike Sainer still, he's a uh, very quick, another, you know, kind of high IQ player. AJ Henning, as I mentioned, he he has all the all the trendy measurables as as a recruit, um, and then Roman Wilson is someone I, I would keep an eye on because he's been nursing a wrist injury, and they've only played him a few snaps a game here and there since the Wisconsin game. But he's someone that um, 
I mean, if he's healthy on Saturday, which I, I think looking at the calendar, it's been about six weeks. So if it was a, a break or a fracture, uh, this might be the week that he, they kind of go to him a little bit more because they've let him play. They've, they've put him out there, you know, with his, with his splint or cast or whatever. But um, if he's fully healthy, he's crazy fast. And he's got a little bit of that ability to high point a ball as well. Zach, how close do you see the, the two quarterbacks uh, with McNamara and, and McCarthy? Obviously, McCarthy came in, had the turnover um, against Michigan State a couple of weeks ago. But obviously, the talent is there's a lot of talent there with McCarthy, always has been. How, how close do you actually see them? And, and how do I mean, do you think that Harbaugh mulled over a change at all this year? There was talk early in the season that he just wasn't getting going with McNamara. But how do you th- how, how do you think he's handled that situation? And, and they seem to have pressed through that. Yeah, uh, I mean, without being a jerk to McCarthy, the one one thing that really helped is that he hasn't looked super good against Michigan State and Indiana. I think that helped, I guess, quiet the controversy. Um, I think, but I do think you're absolute to your point about Harbaugh. I do think he thought hard about maybe maybe not making a full change, but but you know, getting McCarthy involved in the first quarter, getting him involved on fourth down plays, getting him involved in the red zone. Um, because when you see him on the field, there are things that he can do that McNamara can't. It's I don't know if I've seen a quarterback battle where the velocity and just the zip of the pass out of the two guys' arms was so different. Uh, you know, when he throws, he throws it. He kind of looks like a you know Nolan Ryan. Sometimes it's inaccurate, but it's it's a real powerhouse fastball. And McNamara is more like the Mark Burley type uh, for baseball fans, where it's maybe you know 91, 92, but it's but it's got nice touch and got nice movement. So. I, I think I think the big thing is they don't want negative plays. They don't want turnovers. Uh, McCarthy, I think those who watched the Michigan-Michigan State game, I mean, two fumbles in, I think, two consecutive plays even uh, that he was out there. One of them was recovered. One of them killed a, a red zone drive. So I think, you know, and that's that game was not on McCarthy, but it's something, it, it was a reminder that, hey, you know, there is some value in avoiding a sack or, or doing the avoiding the negative play. Uh, even if you don't get any yards, just just don't lose yards or don't don't lose the football. So I think I think they're, they're riding with McNamara until there's a second loss. And at that point, I don't think people really care who the quarterback is. But um, I think I think it's one of those things where next year would be McCarthy's real time to to kind of take the job and and not just have the talent, but also have the playbook awareness, the the game, I guess, game comfortability as well. We could flip it over to defense. Obviously, a high-profile coordinator change coming out of the 2020 season. Where is that transition process at this stage? James Franklin, by the way, highly complimentary of Michigan's ability to bring pressure off both ends. Can you talk about the way they're forcing pressure in this defensive scheme? Yeah, I think I think you know, this was this was something I was very curious about heading into the season because it, it felt like the cupboard wasn't bare. I mean, they were returning uh, pretty much all but two two starters, I believe, from last year's team and and lots of former blue chip recruits who, quote unquote, you know, were project recruits. David Ajabo, I think uh, Penn State fans, you know, same same guy that, away. Uh, he came from the same academy, kind of the same, actually started playing football because of him, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And so, you know, guy who came in super raw, one of the more raw from what I've heard football players Michigan's ever had, uh, you know, in terms of scholarship guys. But but crazy talented, has had first round athleticism from a measurable standpoint uh, coming out of high school. I mean, he was 225, breaking 11 seconds in the in the 100 meter dash and and power ball throw of you know, 40 feet or whatever it was. So it was always kind of a when, but it, no one was sure that it was going to come this year or that it was going to come this much. So he's been a really big asset uh, opposite Aiden Hutchinson, who's always been pretty good, but obviously him being healthy and a Jabo kind of reaching that next level. I think they're number one and number two in the big 10 and sacks right now. So that kind of speaks for itself. And and you saw other players bounce back. Daxton Hill, five-star guy, didn't have the best season last year, um, you know, but he's, he's in this nickel cornerback role. So I think, you know, you go across the board, there's just a lot of players who were, were kind of on their way. They might, might've been thrust in a little early last season with, with the attrition, with the opt-outs, with the injuries that mounted up. Uh, but you're seeing now there, it, that it's created a really deep team. I think they, you know, they feel pretty good about their number four linebacker, or their number, um, you know, six defensive lineman. That that's that that really helps. That helps them rotate. That helps them stay fresh. And then I think that also helps the 
the coaches, you know, really apply the schemes that they want to apply because they don't have to, um, they don't have to just rely on some hoping someone steps up. You know, they actually have players of different sizes, different abilities stepping up. I think the big question, you know, in terms of the new coordinator part, you know, against Michigan State, when Michigan State went tempo, Michigan wanted to mix and match their personnel so much that, um, you know, it cost them, I think it was three penalties. And then there were a couple plays that they just weren't ready to play for. And, and that's where Penn State fascinates me because I think Penn State has the ability to, to speed things up if they want to, if I'm not mistaken. And then they also have the talent level to really make Michigan swap guys in and out at the last second, you know, the way they use their tight ends, I guess the, the breadth of talent uh, in the offensive skill position. So that's going to be something interesting is, is how does Penn state kind of, how, how does that chess match work? Cause I think in 2017 and 2019, uh, you know, Penn state was really the first team to pick on Michigan's slower linebackers and slower safeties. And then you saw other teams start to do it. So does Penn state have something in, in up its sleeve in the proverbial chess match? of making sure the personnel fits. But as far as the defense goes, they're bigger up front. They're faster in the secondary. And I think they're more experienced across the board. Yeah. That was my question. Just how, where, where do you attack the second or not the secondary, but where do you attack this defense seeing them every week? Um, you know, we, we, we look at numbers and, you know, Michigan's the number think number two defense in the big 10 right now, obviously doing some phenomenal things there, but where do you look at them and say, okay, maybe, maybe you exploit uh, the, the linebackers, as you said, like the last time uh, they, they were at Beaver stadium, just what kind of, um, uh, what kind of notes do you have on that? Because obviously Penn's not Penn State's not bringing out Kenneth Walker here. I right. mean, they're not going to run him to death like Michigan State, and that's been the, that's been the exposure, quote unquote. Um, but where where do you see Michigan just being maybe a little bit softer than than its other spots? Yeah, I think I still am not a hundred percent sold on on the secondary and, and downfield coverage. I mean, obviously part of the problem is you have to stop Hutchinson and Ajabo before they get to you. But um, you know, I, I think Nebraska might be a, a game plan to watch. Is you know, lots of very bold, aggressive passes over the middle of the field, trying to create mismatches. The linebackers are not good in coverage. Uh, they're they're faster than they were, so they're not going to get burned, but they do allow a lot of completions. And then I think sometimes Michigan's corners, they have a tendency to play back more than I would think they should. Um, you know, it's not, it's not five-star guys back there. I think every single cornerback that they play is a three-star guy. And so it's, you know, Think about some of Penn State's speedier guys or more athletic guys. You know, is there a chance to, you know, if they're going to play back ten yards, can you can you build up some momentum? Can you can you beat them early uh, and and create some some passes? So almost, I almost feel like the uh, ironically the Penn State twenty seventeen or twenty sixteen when they were slinging it way downfield and making throws that you know fans are holding their breath on, but but they're working. Uh, you know, at least more than more than they usually do, and so that might be a plan. Um, yeah, as far as, I mean, Kenneth Walker, it's the, the more I watch Michigan, the more I'm like, ah, maybe that was really just an exception, but, but some misdirection did work on Michigan. I think they tackled Walker high a lot. I don't know if Penn state has a guy who can take advantage of that, but it really is seems like so far this year, I think Washington was another team that wasn't in the game, but they were able to, to complete a lot of passes downfield, especially kind of between the hash marks you know, challenge the linebackers a little bit. Zach, this might be a breath of fresh air for you, but we've gone almost 20 minutes without bringing up Jim Harbaugh and the future <laughs> in Ann Arbor, because look, eight and one, I'd imagine this Penn State game is going to be viewed in very different ways if they come out with a loss versus a win. With Maryland in between the matchup against Ohio State, we know he hasn't beaten the Buckeyes. Just how important is this matchup in Beaver Stadium for Jim Harbaugh in 2021 and perhaps beyond? So. I, I, this is going to sound weird. And I think, you know, if any Michigan fans are listening, they might come yell at me. I almost think this game is more important for the Jim Harbaugh perception or, or whatever than the Ohio state game. You know, I think, I think the fact is not every Michigan fans like this. And, and you guys know that there's a wide range of what, what fans think Ohio state is an aspirational team to beat at this point. You know, the way the record that they have against the rest of the big 10, um, you know, I know Penn James Franklin got the one, but, but it's, it's just at this point, that's almost the cherry on top. I think the, the goal for Michigan year in and year out from now is just go into that Ohio state game with everything, at least on the table. You know, that means that you took care of the teams you're supposed to take care of. 
And if they beat Penn State, I was kind of looking through the, the Rose Bowl selection process. If they beat Penn State and Michigan State also beats Penn State, it would still probably be Michigan going to the Rose Bowl, assuming Ohio State won the Big Ten and went to the playoffs. So it's actually, this is kind of a defining thing. If they lose, they're probably playing in a Florida Bowl. If they win, I think they're locked into a New Year's Six. And and that that's progress, right? You know, not just from the two and four team, but also from from the 2019 team that, that kind of stumbled in every big game that it was in. So this is a, you know, I think Michigan fans are kind of overlooking Penn state a little bit, um, you know, based on the, on the losing streak that they had a couple weeks ago. But I think ultimately this is a, you know, one of the bigger ones. This is, this is a, a game that Michigan, if they win, I think most 80, 90% of the fans would, would view the season as a, at least a modest success. Um, and if they lose, well, you know, you mentioned we, we don't we haven't we aren't talking about Jim Harbaugh on the hot seat all the time. But every time Michigan loses for the last four years, it's been this. I've had enough of this. This is this is unacceptable. I'm out. And and it's we it's, can't relate at all. We have no idea what you're talking about. Zach. You say, yeah, you say every time he loses, every time he wins that that's the case, too. He doesn't win by enough or oh, says something just... goofy in the presser. Yeah, no, it's just it's always funny because after the losses, everyone like, you know, goes up and looks on their computer like okay what's the worst frame of like record in the past x amount of games that i can make him look terrible in i think at one point it was like nine and eight in the last 17 but it was like a very obscure you guys know what it's all about it's it's kind of i think think these two programs are more or less consistently in the same boat the last few years and so um yeah, I think there's there's some fans who just still want him gone because they wanted him gone really bad last year. But but as far as administratively, uh, they love that they were able to get him for half the price. You know, the restructured contracts, and and I think I think this season, you know, his third season where they're really pushing that envelope in the top five. Um, I think it shows that like he's not he's not a chump. He hasn't lost the locker room. You know, all the you know all the things people were saying last year. Um, he made a lot of changes, but at the same time, he also does have at least a, a good team formula. We'll see if they, you know, can, he can ever put together a great team that wins these type of road games against ranked teams. I thought you were the official messenger based on your Twitter that everybody came to you to, to, to pass it up to the chain to, uh, to fire Jim Harbaugh. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, they all tell me and I'm like, okay, you know, let me, let me, let me send my letter to Ward Manual that, you know. John Stevens, forty-two, says. <laughs> oh, there's there's a lot more numbers in that in that name. Uh, but, <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's yeah, true. <laughs> that's why we have the mute button. That's great. Hey, how's our yeah. guy Josh Gaddis doing uh, out there? Obviously, he spent a lot of time at Penn State. Um, went to Michigan. Was not all uh, smooth sailing for him out there as at, at for his job title. How's that coming along? Um, in his what is it third year out there? Third year. Yep. Yep. Because yep. he had that year or two at Alabama. Um, fans are not sold on him. You know, I think I think that, you know, ultimately, I think the thing that he's really brought is he's recruited a more modern offensive skill set. You know, someone like A.J. Henning, he was built for college football. You know, he's not particularly tall, but he's his shuttle time is, is really good. His 40 time, you know, all that stuff. You know, Blake Corum's another guy who probably isn't on a lot of draft boards because of his height or because of whatever his his overall weight or something. But he's quick and he catches passes out of the backfield. And so it's just a very, it's a much more modern set of receivers. It's not the six, three, six, four guys. It's, it's the speedy guys. And, and so I think whether that's, you know, whatever fans think of Gaddis's play calling, I think that's something that, that has really helped Michigan. I, I actually think his play calling has been pretty good this year. I think they've really improved their third call deception. I think it's a lot less predictable than offense. Cause I think one thing, Fans, might, you know, maybe they don't have excuses for it, but, um, you know, he was a first time play caller when he came to Michigan. And so it's it's uh, you know, he was learning each year and last year he didn't really get a full season to, to implement the way he wanted to implement. So I think fans have kind of cooled on him. But every time they go three and out two or three times in a row that, you know, that's it's the same deal where they're like, who is this guy? He's too young. He's inexperienced. Uh, you know, he's just he's just all talk. Because he is, he is a talker. I, I'm sure you guys learned this when you covered him. He goes, oh, yeah. I mean, he goes faster than I do, and I know I'm going pretty fast right now. He's like a, transcribing him is is a it's like a typing lesson in it in itself. So um, I think fans are fine with him as as long as they win. But as soon as 
the offense struggles or sputters, uh, it it's something to something people bring up. You know, as far as the offense, I didn't realize this. They've they've been really consistent in points this year. I think the big thing is the the red zone offense. They're really struggling there. Um, they were I think two for you know three for six last week. So still kind of in that 50-50. They've got a great kicker, which helps. But yeah, they they lead the country in red zone field goals, and that's not necessarily a compliment. And Penn State's been very, very, very good in the red zone defensively. So that's certainly an aspect of this game to look at. There's a lot to look at. We have several days to do it. Recording you on a Tuesday. This is going to go live on a Wednesday, like you. Not sure where things stand from an injury this early in the week. Maybe not until Saturday. But with all that said, are you leaning one way or the other going into this matchup? And what ultimately do you think will determine where this goes? Well, I think I, I do think the red zone determines a lot, and I think. Uh, how how well Michigan can run the football. You know, I think think they've been stopped a few times this year. I don't think their run blocking is is amazing. Their offensive line, you know, they've kind of rotated guys in a little bit. They're avoiding tackles for loss, but I think that's a credit to the to the running backs as much as it is to the linemen. But you know, Rutgers slowed them to 112 rushing yards. Wisconsin did the same. Michigan State held them below 150. Um, you know, against Wisconsin, they kind of pulled away, but against Rutgers and Michigan State, when that run game was stopped, they did struggle a little bit. You know, there were times during the game where offensively they couldn't get anything going. They couldn't, you know, against both teams, they really couldn't get that last touchdown to put the game out of reach. And so I think that's something to keep an eye on because I, my impression of Penn State is that uh, they can, they can certainly stop a lot of running backs. And, and, you know, if they're, if Michigan's out Corum and maybe even Edwards, you know, Haskins, he's a good back, but he's not a 20 yard, you know, breakaway. He's a, he's, he's a real like four yards in a, in a cloud of dust kind of, kind of running back. And so um, can Michigan su- survive if they're down to him? And so that's, that's the key on, uh, in terms of Penn State's defense, in terms of Penn State's offense, Michigan quietly had a pretty good game against Dotson last year in terms of his targets, receptions. Um, you know, obviously Penn State still won and they had, coverage issues elsewhere but if if they can slow down Dotson I I I feel like Michigan's the rest of its defense will be able to play better um just because they're not they're not trying to compensate or or scrambling and so uh that and and obviously Michigan has two potential first team all big 10 defensive ends you know how many how many sacks how many pressures do they get is another thing I'd be I'd be keeping an eye on in this matchup because it it feels it feels like Penn State maybe doesn't have too much of a run game this season. I maybe I'm I'm incorrect there, but my perception you is You are accurate, sir. <laughs> it you know, Michigan had that in 2019 too where they, you know, just the attrition that they had and and maybe um I don't want to say too much in terms of this, but you know, guys that they recruited to be this that were not quite what they were expected to be. Uh you know, sometimes you just have rebuilding years at a position. So, feel like Michigan if they can limit Dotson and and maybe put some pressure on Clifford. That sounds a lot simpler than it is, but you know, that, that seems to be something that Michigan would have to like its chances in that matchup. If you could do that. We've got a lot to keep our eyes on here this week. If you want to check on what Michigan is doing in game week prep, go check out Zach's coverage. And along with the old team there at 24 seven sports, the Michigan insider.com Zach. Awesome. Having you on once again, we'll talk again soon. Enjoy the game Saturday. Sounds great. Can't wait to be there. Thank you. All right, Sean, moving on from Zach, uh, we talked about the recruiting list coming together. People got to keep track on that. Quick five-star mailbag. Doesn't appear that – here's the question. Doesn't it appear that Kevon Lee has started him, uh, separated himself from others in game action at running back? He's averaging 5.1 yards per carry, while Noah Kane and John Lovett are under 3.5 yards. What am I missing? This question goes. Missing where the bar is. I mean, Kevon Lee has been better than those other guys, but – those guys have not been good. Like I, I don't understand why the the you know the bar is five point one yards per carry against three three and a half yards per carry. Yes, Lee has been better, but like as he separated himself and made himself far and away the best option, I don't know that that's true. Um, he's done some nice things, but he's also put the ball on the ground more than those other guys. So you got to take that into a, into account. Pass blocking is going to play into or come into play here, but. I mean, let's be honest with him. None, none of nobody's been a standout. Nobody's been mm-hmm. the guy that's taken the ball and and really asserted themselves. And hopefully, Lee can be that guy. We said that on the episode last week that if anybody's built for this stretch run in November, it's Kevon Lee. But you know, 
throwing it out there that 5.1 yards per carry against three, three and a half yards per carry. I mean, that's not really extending yourself far and beyond those other guys. So, I mean, I I would love to see it. I hope it does happen this weekend. Um, I think Lee is your best option, but like we're kind of splitting hairs here, aren't we? We are. And, and in terms of offensive touches in a game, Kevon Lee has maxed out with 11. And that was against Iowa. So uh, you're kind of grasping at straws. It's not like we've seen Lee go out and, and get 20 touches in a game and assert himself. He, has, he also hasn't really gotten that opportunity. And that says something about, you know, what Jay Wan Sider wants to do with this backfield. We've talked about it. He wants more decisiveness from Kevon Lee. He wants that north-south approach. He wants him to be running pissed off is, is kind of the way he phrased that last week. But I go through this. Yeah, he averaged uh, nine over nine yards per carry against Indiana. He averaged 8.5 five against ball state he averaged a little over six against maryland but he's under four yards per carry against ohio state against illinois against iowa against villanova he's under four yards per carry so i know the the grand scheme of thing you look at the cumulative stats and it is an ugly stat sheet to look at right now running back and you say oh that's nice 5.1 that looks a lot better than 3.1 3.2 that's going to get your first downs but it is not a, a the sample size is very skewed i think and that's important to look at yeah, especially when he's put the ball on the ground. I mean, I know he's gotten those fumbles back and things like that, but if you're playing close games, that that's really going to keep your butt on the bench if you're, if you're running back. So yeah. I just think it's about where the bar is and and the fact that none of those guys has taken it and, and, and run with it. Um, Lee's probably your best option, but we have several sayings about that being, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know one that's not uh, – yeah. Anyway, not going to get into that, but yeah, <laughs> right. I, I think Lee's your best option. I don't think it's a, it's a wide gulf between those guys. So I, I, I understand where you're coming from with the question, but somebody needs to be better than their best right now. And, and they haven't gotten that. He had two explosive plays, one through one as a receiver, one as a rusher during a, a possession last week against Maryland. He can start stringing those kind of things together. Hey, we're having a different conversation and, and this is still a second year running back, but uh, crushed you know, Michigan question, last year too, so you'd like to see that yeah. this week again. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, the, the question we're we're not saying that Kevon Lee is not a talented running back, but we are saying that there's a reason that he's not the guy getting 20 touches and everybody else is getting three or four. This is what Jay Wan Sider's seen on the practice field and in the games. Yes, there have been moments of flash, and you could probably say, close your eyes, think of the best moments for a Penn State running back this year. Might be Kevon Lee rumbling in the open field, surging there. But there's a lot of runs where Kevon Lee is missing the hole, running into the back of his offensive lineman, losing yards, getting you off schedule. And there just honestly hasn't been games where he's gotten back to back series or gotten in some kind of rhythm where you can really assess him and evaluate him. So that's where it is right now at running back. It's a fair question, but I think it's a fair answer as well. Um, Sean, that's going to be it for us. Uh, thanks to Zach Shaw. Appreciate his and his perspective on Michigan. We're going to get out of here. We're back on Thursday with our final thoughts on Penn State's game against Michigan. We'll talk about the keys for the Nittany Lions to pick up a win and also give you our final score predictions. Thanks to our producer, Lance Glenn. We'll talk to you real soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats.